Hi, my name is Paul Crandall, and I'm the lead pastor here at Sunrise Church. Our vision is to lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, which means our hope is that you would take one step closer to Jesus after watching this service. Whether that step is from interest to curiosity or from one level of commitment to a deeper level of commitment, whatever that is, we want to respect the pace of your spiritual journey and we want to help in making that next step. In fact, personally, I want to help as well. You can email me after the service at paulc.isunrise.com. That's my personal account and I would love to know how I can help you take one step closer to Jesus. I believe after watching the service, you're going to find that our church is a safe place to hear a life-changing message. So please enjoy the content you're about to view and email us so we know how we can help you take your next step closer to Jesus. Good to see you. Glad that you're here with us this, this morning. We are working through the writings of Luke. We're going through the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. We're doing it a little bit differently. We're kind of taking different themes or different uh, topics, if you will. And we're talking about this kind of series is the idea of prayers. So we looked at different prayer points in the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And today we're going to look at prayers of commissioning. Commissioning. What that means is when uh, leaders of the church recognize that somebody is called to a specific work, a ministry, and they lay their hands, which is very much a commissioning practice, to lay their hands on the person and to acknowledge God has a calling on your life, and then they send them to go and do that work. So as we talk about those prayers, prayers of commissioning, I think it's important for us to consider that there's something I think that's hurting the church, and hurting the calling of the church and the ministry of the church. And here's what I think is hurting the church, or oftentimes is hurting this, the church, is uh, a view of professionalism. And what do I mean by that? What I mean by professionalism is that there are certain groups of people, like a smaller group of Christ followers, who are paid to do ministry. So that's like their job, their livelihood is wrapped up in doing ministry. This could be a pastor or a missionary. Now you may be thinking, wait a second, did you just say that's a problem? Isn't that what you do? Are you a problem? Yes, I am a problem. Not for that reason though. Now, this model, though, is not a bad model. In fact, it's a very New Testament model. It's a very Old Testament model. We see the New Testament actually give recommendations to do this. Paul, the writer of a majority of the New Testament books, actually gave this as an example or a ministry model for churches in the first century world. We see he did this with the church at Corinth and the church at Ephesus. Let me show you this. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Look at how Paul talks about a certain group of people making their livelihood off of doing ministry. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? And what he's doing here is he's bringing their mind back to the Old Testament model of the priesthood. So before Jesus, that's all the Old Testament. 
And they had a practice of priests performing ministry services for the people of Israel. These were, these were called the Levites. And they would earn their money, their livelihood by doing these ministries. And so they would live off the tithes and offerings and sacrifices of the people. So Paul says this is an Old Testament practice. But now in the New Testament church, after the resurrected Jesus Christ, he says we should still do this. Look at the next verse, verse 14. In the same way, the Lord, he's talking about Jesus, commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So Paul is recommending a kind of professionalism in ministry. When Paul's talking to a young pastor by the name of Timothy, who's uh, leading a church in Ephesus, here's what he tells Timothy in 1 Timothy, I believe it's chapter 5. Let's see. Well, it doesn't say, so let's pretend it's chapter 5. It's five. <laughs> Verse 17. Let the elders, pastors, leaders, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. Especially, so now I'm kind of narrowing the group here, especially those who labor in preaching and in teaching. So your primary teacher. Look what he says next. For the scriptures say you shall not muzzle an ox. You can call your pastor an ox. Now be careful. That's very close to another word and don't call me that one. I got one laugh from a child. Probably shouldn't have. Okay, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And the laborer deserves his wages. Now, this is very interesting because Paul is talking to Timothy at Ephesus. And he quotes Moses. That's the first quote. You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. That's from Deuteronomy. The great leader of the Jewish people, Moses, wrote the book of Deuteronomy after their exodus. And then that next quote, the laborer deserves or the laborer deserves his wages, that's from Jesus Christ. Those words are recorded in the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Matthew. So I just said that professionalism can be a problem in the church. But I just listed off all of these scriptures, and we see that Moses thought it was a good idea, Paul the Apostle thought it was a good idea, Jesus thought it was a good idea. So why do I think it could be a harmful idea? It's because here's what happens sometimes is we get this perspective of professionalism. And when we support or we give to support ministries, instead of seeing it as we're fellow workers with this person, sometimes we see, well, I'm a supporter, I'm a donor, I'm going to outsource ministry to them and not do ministry myself. And so we get this sense of the called are the pastors and the missionaries. The ones who do ministry are the pastors and the missionaries. We support them. And that's a dangerous sense of professionalism. It's good. It's very good that we have pastors and missionaries who are able to focus full-time on ministry work and they're supported by other followers of Jesus Christ. That's a good thing. But when we separate ourselves from the ministry and calling because we're supporting people who minister and are called, then we find ourselves in an unsafe place, a place that is not honoring to the Lord because God has called us all. Every follower of Jesus Christ is called. Every follower of Jesus Christ does ministry, not just a select group. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at two different commissioning moments, moments where leaders in the church put their hands on different leaders and said, go and do this work. And here's what we're going to see. We're going to see these two examples, and one is just going to be dynamic. 
there's just going to be these like remarkable men who get a dramatic call from God and they go off to foreign lands to do ministry work. And that's what we often think of as the called. But then there's another example we're going to use. Same idea is going to happen. There's going to be a laying on of hands and a commissioning prayer. But the way it comes about is so much different than what we see in the first one. Because there is no dynamic and dramatic call. And the people called aren't remarkable necessarily. They're kind of like everyday followers of Jesus. And a need comes up and then they're sent to do work. But God blesses both of these. And here's what I think we're going to realize. We're going to realize that God's call is not cookie cutter. It doesn't fit in a box. That yes, God may call in a dramatic way for you to go off and do foreign mission work. That could happen. But God may call you in an unspectacular way, just present a need before you and ask you to, instead of go, stay. But everyone is called. Here's what I think we're going to learn as we examine these two is we're going to learn this big idea. Now, before we put it up, I just have to kind of give a a warning here. It's not my best big idea. Okay. And I know this because I gave it to my kids at the dinner table. I said, hey, here's where daddy's message is going. Here's the big idea for the day. And, And I said, I don't know what I think of it. And tell me what you guys think. And so I let it out. And those wonderful people who honor me so well, my children, were like, yeah, not your best. I'm like, okay, all right, right to the heart. Ah, Thank you. A prophet is not welcome in his own home, right? So there's a sense in which, but my kids just said, Dad, it's not your best, but it's memorable. I'm like, cool. That's all I'm shooting for. I just want the big idea to stick. I just want it to stick at least for six days. If it could be sticky for six days, then next week I'll give you another one. And then you'll be ready to go. But I want it to stick. And so here's what I think we're going to find. It's going to feel very Dr. Seuss, okay? I'm just warning you coming up. Okay, the big idea I think we're, we're going to see from our two passages today is this. Here or there, God's call is one fish, blue fish, red fish, two fish, one nutria. Right? <laughs> it does feel very Dr. Seuss, doesn't it? Here or there, God's call is ever. But I think it's what we're going to see. Is the calling of God is here. It's for everyone. And it's there. And it's for some, some to do different work, but all of us to do some sort of work. So let me show you this in Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, we're going to look at one of these commissioning moments. And this is the commissioning moment that we often, I think, think about. Like this is our default moment when somebody like has this dramatic experience. Okay, let me show you this. Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Now there were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who's called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menai, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me. I love when my son packs and we do our devotionals. I make the kids read the Bible. And he always does these dynamic voices for God. Which is really kind of cool. So that's what I snapped into there. Set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul. That's the deep as this voice gets, okay? I just turned 39. I'm hoping at 40, puberty will hit and that voice will drop a little bit. We'll find out. Set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, here's that commissioning moment. Praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Okay. 
This is what we often think of, right? If you go back to verse 1, there's a list of names there. The first name and the last name are very important. Barnabas and Saul. Because these are the guys that are commissioned to do this new work that the church feels God is calling them to do. And these dudes are remarkable. I mean, if we thought of like celebrity pastors in the first century world, these guys would be up there. Barnabas in Acts chapter 4 gave a generous sum of money to the first century church. So here's, he's already known as a generous guy, but he's not just financially generous. He's a dynamic leader. In fact, the church in Jerusalem, which was kind of the center of the movement for a long period of time, they were starting to hear like, hey, stuff is happening over in this region of Antioch. We need to send somebody out there to make sure somebody can give some guidance to this new movement. And so who do they pick? The Jerusalem church picks Barnabas. And they send Barnabas out there. So this is a dynamic guy. This is all before we get to this moment. He's already a known commodity, if you will. He's already kind of a celebrity. He has the Palestinian trading cards for the first century movement. He's the top. Then we have this guy at the bottom of the list, Saul. You may know him as Paul. Now here's another dynamic player. Because before this moment, Saul, his name would change later to Paul. Saul was kind of like the number one villain in the book of Acts. If you thought of Barnabas as like, Barnabas was your all-star pastor, Saul was your all-star persecutor. He was known as the one who was going after the church with this religious zeal. He even confesses in the book of Galatians that he sought to destroy the church and he went after it violently, he says, as he talks about his previous life. So Saul turns from being a persecutor to one of the primary preachers and church builders in the first century world. A, a, a dramatic conversion. And Barnabas is actually one of the first Christian leaders to authenticate Saul's conversion. And he brings him to this growing church in Antioch and says, Saul or Paul, I want you to help me teach these young followers how to follow Jesus for the rest of their life. So these are dynamic guys that have had dramatic experiences that are proven leaders. And then they go to church and they have this moment. Look at again at verse 2. They have this dramatic moment. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I called them. Now when we first read this, we're like, wait, what's going on here? So does God just like take the mic? Is that what happened? Just this divine voice started booming from the stage? I actually think what happened, and I think how the first century readers would read Luke's account, is that first group of people that were listed in verse 1, it says that they were prophets and teachers. So a first century Jew reading this would say, well, when God speaks, he speaks through a prophet. That's the predominant way God speaks to his people in the Old Testament. Now, sometimes God will just out of his, like, with no agency whatsoever, no intermediary, no tool, he'll just speak forth his word. But majority of the time, he speaks his word through a prophet. That's what I think is happening here. So we should understand this is that sometime it broke out. In the midst of this worship service, as they're fasting, a prophet stands up and says, Barnabas, Saul, God has a work for you. Man, that's really cool. Imagine if I just stood up. Now, I can hardly see some of your faces, but I just went, bam, right? Michael, you're called. Like, whoa, that's a serious moment. What a dynamic moment. What a spectacular moment. 
And the Holy Spirit says, I want you to do a work. Now, as we see this kind of unfold in Acts 13 and, and Acts 14, what's the work that God, the Holy Spirit, is calling them to? It's foreign missions. The significance of this account right here is this is the first time the New Testament church will deliberately send out missionaries to a foreign land. Now, we've seen people go to foreign places. We've seen that before. But it's usually individuals. And the driving force that has really pushed the gospel outside of Jerusalem is persecution. So they, would, they fled when persecution was happening, most likely at the hands of Saul. And they would spread the gospel as they would go. But this is the first time the church has said, we are behind this work. We are deliberately deciding to set apart these guys, acknowledge what God is doing, validate it, and push them forward. And Barnabas and Saul would cross the Mediterranean Sea, go to the island of Cyprus, and then they would go north to some cities that we know now as kind of southern Turkey in that region. What an awesome call. See, now, this is what we do at times. We take this and we make it normative. Like, this is what calling looks like. This is what ministry looks like. Remarkable people get a spectacular call, and they go off to do foreign mission work. But that's actually not how the New Testament church viewed the calling of God and the ministry of the church. Yes, these moments happened. And they still happen. I was just talking to one of our uh, missionaries uh, about, I think it was last week. And they serve in the Basque country. If you don't know where that's at, I didn't know where it was at either. I had to look it up on a map. It's in between France and Spain. Now, some consider it a part of Spain. Some others don't. I don't know what's going on there, but Wikipedia didn't explain it to me. But I was able to see kind of where they were on the map. And it was so fun to talk to them about how God is using them to reach a group of people where there's not a lot of Christians and there's not a lot of churches. And it was fun just to unpack how God called them there, the work that they're doing. I was so encouraged. Like, I love our missionaries. I Love our missionaries. I admire our missionaries. We financially support our missionaries significantly. Sunrise Church, you've done a phenomenal job at supporting them. If you remember from Christmas Eve offering, our last uh, big offering was a Christmas Eve offering. We sent it all to our missionaries. All to our missionaries. So over $70,000 went to our missionaries from our Christmas Eve offering. And then we decided in this year, in this calendar year, we are doubling our monthly support for all of our missionaries. So we love them. We support them. And, and we are donors to the work that they're doing. But here's what we don't want to do. We don't want to see ourselves as supporters that are then sidelined to the work of ministry. No, they're doing ministry. But we're not just supporters. We're fellow workers. They're called. We're called. They were called to go. Awesome. Maybe you're called to stay. But that's still a call. Just because it doesn't look like this moment doesn't mean you're not called. Doesn't mean ministry is not something that God wants for you. See, here's what we often do in the American church. And we've kind of built churches like this, especially over the last 40 to 50 years. Is we really bottleneck the potential of a church in the lead pastor. right? In a leader. And so we've built churches off the charismatic personality of a celebrity pastor. And we've kind of put that into hyperdrive over the last couple decades. 
And what has it done? Here's what it's done. It has put a lot of people on the shelf. Put a lot of people in the stands with pom-poms and signs. Watching people do ministry who are called. Think about how that is hindering the work of God. Putting so many people on the shelf. And say, you support, we'll run the plays. Friends, that is not the New Testament view of ministry. I hope today your view of ministry, your view of calling is expanded. I hope it explodes that you see like the big idea. Here or there, God's call is everywhere. And every follower of Jesus Christ is called. Let me show you another cool commissioning moment. Go to Acts chapter 6. Totally different than Acts chapter 13. We had remarkable men, an amazing dynamic call, prophet gets a word, Holy Spirit speaks. They go off into foreign lands like they've never done before. We see the leaders lay hands and commission them. We see a a similar moment, laying on of hands and a commissioning moment. But look at how undramatic and unspectacular this commissioning moment is. This is Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now in those days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food or the daily distribution. Now, just stop right here. This commissioning moment starts not with the Holy Spirit's call via a prophet. It starts with a complaint. There's a problem. This church is growing. It's getting bigger. Now, predominantly, it's still a Jewish movement. So we have Hebrews, which are Jews who speak Hebrew or Aramaic. And then we have Hellenists, which aren't Greeks, but they're, they're Hellenist Jews. And so they're Jewish people who are speaking Greek. They're probably people who live outside of Jerusalem, outside of Palestine. They're kind of spread out. They have some similar customs because they're still Jewish, but they speak a different language. And there's an administrative problem that is happening. For some reason, the Greek-speaking widows aren't getting food. Now, we're not told that this is a, a sin issue. It's an, it's an administrative oversight or a mistake. That's what's happening here. And so the church says, we've got to do something about this. We've got to meet this need. So a need is what starts this commissioning event. Then look at the next step, verse 2. And the twelve, this is the apostles, summoned the full number of disciples and said, it is not right that we should go or give up preaching and the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who will, we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said, please the whole gathering. So a need starts this nominating process where the new movement of Jesus followers start to vote and present candidates for approval. That sounds boring, doesn't it? Like, where's the Holy Spirit? Like, we're fasting and praying. Bam! He hits. Prophet says, you go. Like, that's what we expect, right? Not what happens here. They have a business meeting. And if you've ever been in a church business meeting, you know what that is. It's a collection of complaints. Right, okay, in the back, and then you used to sit there for hours arguing. It's just, it's not fun. And if you've never been a part of one, don't be a part of one. They're not fun. So this is kind of what's happening. 
Complaint department is happening. We actually have, by the way, if you want to know Sunrise Church, we have an official complaint department. James G at iSunrise.com. <laughs> he would love to receive all of those. We're actually going to, if you're on uh, with us online, we're going to put that in the feed. Go ahead and just fill that thing. He will love you so much. Right? So this complaint starts this kind of movement. And the disciples just sounds like, okay, we need to, you guys pick somebody. Now, here's the, the, the interesting thing. is actually the names that are listed there are all Greek names. I think that's funny. I think it's interesting, but it's like the problem came from the Greek-speaking group, and they're like, okay, you brought the complaint, you solved the problem. Ooh, I like that principle, right? And they're like, I'm not going to preach that too much. Okay, I'm not going to preach it. We're going to move on from this. Okay, so they select these men. Let's look down. There's two names I want you to see that I think are really, really important names. Stephen is one of them, and then Philip. We'll get to why those are important. But the list of these guys is pretty unremarkable. They haven't done anything. They haven't done anything. They're not like Barnabas and Saul, who became Paul. This is the first time we hear of these guys, these Greek-speaking guys. Normal guys, need comes up, nominating process. Kind of feels a little sterile, doesn't it? Compared to Acts chapter 13. But look at how the apostles treat this. They say, we believe this is important need. We want people full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit. You're not just serving tables. I know that's the language that they use, but they don't see it as a small task. They say, we want spiritually qualified people to do this work. And then they do the same commissioning that they did with Barnabas and Saul. Look at this. Jump down to verse 6. These they set before the apostles. They prayed and laid their hands on them. Now, to us in the first or 21st century world, that may not be a, a dramatic picture for us, right? The idea of like laying on of hands and praying, that may not seem that dynamic, right? For us, like maybe uh, when somebody's grieving, you'll lay your hand on their shoulder to show that there's support and comfort and all those things. But in the first century world, a Jew would not see it this way. This goes all the way back to that great leader, Moses, Moses, this dynamic leader who really at the kind of the, the birth of the people of Israel. They were definitely a people before, but man, they expanded. And Moses was seen kind of as their first true leader. And he was a dynamic leader. God used him, did miracles, defeated the Egyptian oppressors. It was incredible stuff. And so you, there's, of course, anxiety about, well, who's going to lead us when Moses is done? And so they have this moment, this commissioning moment with a leader by the name of Joshua. And Joshua has this moment where Moses lays his hands on him in front of the priest Eleazar in Numbers chapter 27. And this also happens before the people, and he prays. And in Numbers chapter 27, it says a very interesting word. It says that Moses was investing some of his authority in Joshua. Wow. That's pretty cool. That's what the first century followers would have seen. Wait, look at the apostles. These are the ones who saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. These are the ones who were with him when he was teaching before he died. These are the ones who witnessed the crucifixion, who were 
just riddled with doubt in that moment, but then were encouraged and empowered when they saw him rise. And then were empowered by the Spirit. And they've been preaching and moving. These are the dynamic guys. These are the celebrities. And now these guys are bringing up servants who wait tables. And those guys are receiving the hands of the apostles and being prayed over? How did the apostles see those men? as significant parts of the mission of God. But that's often how we don't see it, right? We think of calling and ministry as like the Acts 13 moment. And you know what? God does that. But God doesn't only do that. In fact, the majority of time, I don't think he does that. I think a majority of the time, how does God move? You see a need, you meet a need in the name of Jesus. That's what happens. But when we have this kind of operating system of like, well, the special are called and the special do ministry and that's that group over here and I'll just applaud them and I'll like their Instagram photos, right? And I'll financially support them. What we do is we keep ourselves from significant ministry work. And look how Luke describes what happened when these seven men were commissioned to meet the needs of these Greek-speaking widows. He said the church exploded. Look what he says in verse 7. I think it's so interesting. He uses this summarizing statement right after the commissioning of the normal guys. The average Joes. The unremarkable. Look what he says happened. Verse 7. It says, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to faith. That last line there I think is incredibly significant. Especially if we've been following the story of the gospels and the stories that are in the book of Acts. It was the Jewish religious leaders who were the primary protagonists in the gospels. Yes, Rome was the oppressor. Yes, that's true. But Rome really was a tool in the Jewish leaders' hands that they leveraged to get Jesus crucified. So you have these priests who are now becoming obedient in the faith, and they're in the city of Jerusalem. So some of these people are probably a part of that class who pressured the Romans politically to crucify Jesus Christ. So of all the people we think that wouldn't come to faith, they start coming to faith. Isn't that interesting? The word of God explodes and expands and the unlikely start to come. And church, just imagine this. Imagine if we all saw ourselves like these guys. Maybe we're not the Acts 13 guys. Dynamic call, vision, foreign lands. Man, those are cool. And I pray that God continues to raise up people in our church that have that call. But what if we all saw ourselves as called? What would that look like? I think it'd look like that. That's what I think it would look like. Now, what we can't let happen is what we don't want to do is say, oh, see, here's what happened. We had the apostles were able to do what they were supposed to do. They said they wanted to devote themselves to prayer and the teaching of the word. So then they got the servants over here. And then you got the sharers of God's word over here. No, we can't see that. 
It's true, these men did one work, these men did another work. But we can't see the work of sharing the gospel as separate from everybody. Two of those guys on the list that I was talking about in Acts chapter 6 are Stephen and Philip. And we'll see later, yeah, these guys start by serving a need. By feeding widows. But then Stephen later will be the first martyr of this new Christian movement. And he'll have the longest sermon recorded in the book of Acts. Twice as long as Peter's sermon at Pentecost. So did he share the word? Absolutely. He started with service, but he was always sharing. Philip, one another uh, of the kind of table servants, if you will. In Acts chapter 8, he converts a man named Simon who's a sorcerer in Samaria. Pretty dynamic. And he also uh, converts an Ethiopian eunuch. What a wonderful story. Imagine sunrise if we all saw ourselves as called. What would that look like? How would that dramatically change intel? I mean, when you speak of Hillsborough, right? You speak of our city that we're in. It seems like you always have to say, oh, yeah, yeah, we're the head of research and development for Intel. Right? And so, like, it's, it's interesting how, like, our city is just so connected with this industry, which I think is a great thing. That's a cool thing. But imagine if Sunrise, every person who came to Sunrise that's a follower of Jesus Christ saw themselves as a missionary in their workplace. That, yeah, I know, maybe you were on Indeed, right? You put your resume there. You, you, you trick the algorithm with all these cool little adjectives about who you are. You embellish your resume maybe a little bit, right? You put all these things together and then, boom, Intel is interested in your resume. You're like, cool, I'm going to go work for Intel. Hillsboro, where's that? Okay, whatever, Pacific Northwest sounds cool. They can't have any scary creatures that live there. Should be a disclaimer. So you go, all right, I'm going to, cool, I'm going to do all this stuff. We're going to make microchips and all this fun stuff. It's going to be so fun. Imagine, though, if you saw that as your secondary assignment at Intel or at Nike or anywhere you work. Right? Our God is so big, and he has providentially put together every piece of your life. Everywhere you are, you are sent. You are called and you are commissioned. It's no accident you live where you live. Man, I was just burdened, this, burdened by this like three, uh, three days ago, sitting with my neighbors. We just moved to this cul-de-sac. And I was leaving and I was like cleaning stuff up. I was putting up chairs after hanging out with some of my, our neighbors. It was a really fun experience. And I just had this moment where I felt like God was saying, Paul, I love all those people. So I sent you there. Right? Not like, Paul, you bought a house on a cul-de-sac for your kids to be safe and have fun. Is that true? Yes. But God loves my neighbors. Jesus Christ died for my neighbors. And how would they hear about him? Because he sent me into that neighborhood. God has sent you to your workplace. God has sent you to your neighborhood. You are called. You are on mission. You do ministry here or there. God's call is everywhere. 
Imagine what we would unlock. Imagine how our city would look different. If from a plumber to a software engineer said, first and foremost, I'm a minister. I'm called. Don't wait for the spectacular. Don't wait for the dramatic. Don't wait for the divine encounter. What if there's just a need and you meet that need? Now, you may be saying to yourself, you know what, Paul? Like, you talk about those missionaries you even talked about, right? They serve in the Basque region and they, they went off and they made sacrifices and they're, they're ministering in a place that doesn't have significant gospel presence in it. Paul, that's, that can never be me. I, I'm never the go kind of person. Look, hear me out. That's okay. Don't feel guilty about that. That's okay. Because you can stay. In fact, you can stay and still reach those in the Basque country. In fact, we've been doing this as a church for several years through summer in the USA. It's where students in the Basque country will come over here to practice their English speaking skills for one month in the summer, hosted by a family. It's like, it's, it's reverse missionary work. Instead of us going over there, they come over here. We host them for a month, we hang out with them, we share the love of Jesus with them. And then they take that back home with them. We're looking for four families to host. Four families to host this summer, in July, I believe it is. Four more families. Now again, that may not be you. But what if it's not a dramatic calling that you need? What if it's just a need presented? What if this is like an Acts 6 moment? A need presented and you meet that need. Not waiting for the Holy Spirit to give you a prophet's voice, but simply seeing a need and meeting a need. Let's watch this video together. This is about Summer in the USA, or SUSA as we call it. Let's watch together. Summer in the USA is an opportunity for churches and families to engage in foreign missions right at home. Students from the Basque Country in Spain live with Christian host families for the month of July to improve English fluency. But their lives are forever changed when they experience the love of God through the families and church community. For the month of July, families in our church make a decision to open up their homes, which I think hospitality actually was like the first century church's strategy to share the gospel. The people here are incredibly unreached. There are nations like Saudi Arabia that have more believers percentage-wise right now than people in Basque country. The opportunity for a Basque people to know about Jesus is none. I mean, we are few Christians, that's the reality. In my family, they doesn't speak about that but I want to know about him. If people don't go to Basque Country or if hosts don't take Basque Country into their home, it appears as if there will be no reproductive disciple making in Basque Country. When there was the announcement about summer in the USA and the concept of hosting a teenager for a part of the summer, it kind of pulled at my heart. She came and uh, was here for a month and lived in our house and just kind of did whatever we did. So hosting a bath student was a, a really cool way for us to give intention and extra meaning to our daily lives and just having this person with us where we were sharing the love of Jesus with them, showing our kids what that looked like, and then just giving it that extra meaning to our entire summer. 
When we first heard about the opportunity, I thought there's no way this is gonna work for our family. We're way too busy. Our house is probably not big enough. The kids are little, like what are we gonna do for the month of July? And I'm so glad we decided to just jump in and do it because we had the best summer and we fell in love with Isado. The impact that you can have in such a short period of time is like years of work, ultra condensed. Trust that if God is pulling at your heart, bottom line, follow that lead and it will work. Man, what a cool opportunity. Now again, you may see that you're like, that's not me, right? I, I, I'm not, that's not my call. That's not what I'm supposed to do. I get that. But no, you are called. There is a ministry for you. You're going to see there's a table out there. If you want information, go to sign up. Or sign up. There's a table out there. I'd love for you to grab some information. We've got other needs here. We've got need for the family fellowship team, need for our parking team. Maybe that's what God's calling you. Maybe you don't need that dynamic call. You just need a need presented. Here's the needs that we have right now in our church, the opportunities that are before you. Consider them. Now, here's what I want to do. In a moment, we're going to do something that we've, I've never done before. Well, actually, that's not true. I did it for first service. But... From this day, I had never done before. And I felt like the best way to kind of cap off our time together, at least during our message time, was to do a prayer of commissioning. So in a moment, not right now, but in a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to invite you to open your hands in a moment. And what that posture is, it's just, it's not anything magical or anything like that. It's just a posture and a gesture that says, I'm willing to receive God, whatever you would have me do. Whatever you would have me do, Lord, that's what I'm willing to do. And so if you want to participate in that, I'm in a moment going to invite you to stand. And then there's going to be a prayer on the screen. And so I want you to pray with your eyes open. Yes, God will still hear your prayers if your eyes are open. I'm going to read a portion of the screen and there's going to be an underlined portion. And I want you to read that portion. And let me tell you, last night I was reading through the scriptures and reflecting on them and praying. And I was struck by this prayer. I was reading Ephesians chapter 4, and I plan to share Ephesians 4.11 with you. Ephesians 4.11 talks about God gives the gifts of great leaders, right? We could say our, our, our pastors and missionaries, God gives us special leaders. But these leaders aren't the players on the field. They're more like coaches. Let me share this verse with you. Ephesians 4.11 says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to do what? Not to do the ministry, but to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Our leaders are more like coaches than players. And as I was thinking last night, so I happened to just, it's just happened to be in my Bible reading. I was reading Ephesians 4 and I wanted to find a verse that I could pray before I went to bed. And Ephesians 4, 1 stuck out to me. And this is the prayer I prayed for you last night. Look at how Paul talks to the church at Ephesus. As we think about calling and ministry, look what he says. He says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Wait, who's called? Is Paul called? Yeah. But the church is called. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, hear me today. You are called to do ministry. What's that ministry? I don't know. But we're going to ask the Lord to show you that. And imagine the amount of potential we would unleash in our church if we all saw ourselves as called. What ministry opportunities would explode in this church? I don't know, but I want to see it. Do you want to see it? Yes. 
He does. Do you want to see it? Okay, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand with me. We're going to do our commissioning prayer. Now, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, okay, I want you to stand with us and I still want you to open your arms like this. But I don't want you to feel any pressure to pray this prayer. Okay? It's a prayer of commissioning. It's asking God, will you show me the work that you would have for me? But if you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm so excited you're here. I still want you to participate, but just in a slightly different way. As you stand there and your arms are open like this, what I'd ask you to do, you don't have to pray out loud with us, but what I ask you to do is this. Pray maybe privately and just say, Lord, show me yourself this week. Show me yourself this week. I think God is eager to show himself to you. So invite him into that opportunity. Father, show yourself to me this week. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you want to pray this prayer of commissioning, now if you don't, that's fine. That's fine. I get that. But if you want to pray that, I'm going to pray the first part. And then I invite you when we get to the underlying portion that you would pray that out loud together. So church family, let's stand. Let's put our hands like this. And let's pray. Father, you know both my beginning and my end. My life is a story that you have written. My scars and my strengths have shaped me to serve others. I wish I knew every turn on the journey you are calling me into. And trust that each move plays a part in your perfect plan. Help me to follow your lead even when I can't see past the hills in front of me. Your direction is not far from me. Show me, with, show me your will through the needs around me. Make your path clear through the opportunities before me. Amen.